We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 992 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. We are quickly closing in on episode 1000. Uh, Today, we are going to be chatting about the cornerback position. I know I've done some chatting about the cornerback position with uh, Ben a couple times already, but we've got a little bit more info, and I have new people joining me today, so I want to break down a couple of these prospects in a little bit greater detail. We're going to be going over it in a couple different directions as well, but joining me today is my usual partner in crime, Perry Goldstein. You can follow her on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. Uh, she, of course, is of Pax What She Said fame, as well as Pax What She Said Live. If you have not checked out their first episode yet on YouTube, make sure to do so. Perry, how the hell are you doing? That was one of the best introductions you've ever given me, Andy. I'm great now. Well, to be fair, it's usually not me giving you the introduction. It's usually Alex. So that's True. more of an indictment on Alex, I feel like. No. Which, Alex, if you're listening, it wasn't an indictment on you at all, I promise. (laughs) I just like throwing people under the bus. You know, that's how I operate things. And then my other guest today is the one and only Peter Bukowski. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can find him on SB Nation, Packer Report, Locked On Packers Podcast. Peter reached out to me this week and said, Andy, you guys just run such an amazing podcast. It's the best in the business uh, covering the Packers. (laughs) I'd just like to come on and learn a little bit more how you guys do things so maybe I can pick up on some 
some pointers. Um, I'm sure he's going to be super modest, um, and I'm sure he's going to have some things to say. Uh, but yeah, just really excited to you know invite on the one and only Peter Bukowski from, of course, the Locked On Packers podcast. What's a podcast? <laughs> I don't know. We're almost a thousand in, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm a little bummed we didn't get for number a thousand. Well, you know, uh, you know, I think you there's still an opportunity for two thousand, Peter. Well, God willing, there's not. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Just kidding. Just kidding, Andy. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, but, yeah, no, love having you on, Peter. Uh, super grateful of you joining us today. Um, I know we get to play Twitter enemies. Um, today we get to play podcast enemies. But, uh, no, I, you know, the thing that I always love is, um, obviously, I've been on uh, Lockdown a few times. This is, I think, your, what, second or third time on Pack-A-Day? Mm, yes, at least second, maybe third. Yeah, one of those two, but second or third time, and um, I just always love the fact that there, you know, there's enough breathing room for everyone when you allow it, and um, I think both of us have a, you know, understanding that there is literally no amount of Packers content out there that will ever be too much uh, for Packers fans' appetites, so um, I think that's something that's always really cool, so I always appreciate you coming on. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm actually mostly worried about amplifying Perry just because her and Maggie are going to come for Lockdown Packers pretty soon, and I'm I'm pretty worried about that. Well, yeah, I mean, same here, right? Like, it's just a, we're just biding time until Paxton she said just takes over everything, and um, like you said, we're we're probably won't hit 2,000. Uh, Lockdown Packers will be no more, and it's just going to be the Paxton she said world, and we're just going to be living in it. That's what we're going for is world domination. So <laughs> for outing us, guys. <laughs> one one Dyer Alexander tape breakdown at a time. <laughs> Uh, absolutely amazing. Well, I'm very, very excited to talk corners. And, I, you know, I think, Peter, one of the big reasons uh, I had to have you on on this one is, uh, of course, it's insanely unlikely and rare that you and I actually agree on things. So uh, when it actually comes to us agreeing on things, it feels fairly monumental. So I figured we need to talk some of those top corner break, you yeah. know, cornerback breakdowns. And I know Perry's on the same page on some of these as well. But before we get there, that'll kind of be a tease for later. Before we get there, I do want to ask you guys, uh, Pete Doherty wrote an article article for Packers News or Press Gazette or wherever you want to call it now um, about Darnell Savage moving to the star position and that being a potential option. Um, he had referenced that, you know, Leroy Butler thought that that would be a option for Darnell Savage. I know that this isn't particularly something new. I know we've talked about it on Packaday. I'm sure you've talked about it on Lockdown, Peter. Um, and I know Zach Cruz had floated that idea. It's definitely been floated out there before, but um, this sort of had the backing of, you know, somebody who's done a very similar role in, uh, in a Leroy Butler. Um, obviously, Doherty wrote about it. And I think he talked to a scout, too, who said that that could be something that Darnell Savage could do. Um, Peter, why don't we start with you, since you are our guest today. What are your thoughts on Darnell Savage playing the star position? Well, I, I think it's one of those things where Joe Barry, in his opening press conference, said you can never have too many guys who can play the star. Never have too many guys who can play in the slot. And... It seems like, and a lot of this is projection, right? We don't actually know what this defense is going to look like until we see them on the field, and maybe even then we won't know until midseason or later. Um, th- this Packers defense last year with Mike Patton in, what, year three looked much different in the second half than it did early in the first half and, and even 2019. But what, what Darnell Savage brings is versatility. And so the fact that he can play the star position is great. I don't think you're, you're doing him any favors by saying, okay, he's the star. And, and not that he can't do it. He was the number one graded slot corner uh, in the Big Ten in college at Maryland. He played a bunch in the slot. But, but 
what he really excelled in last year was the, the coverage disguises, the robber role, that lurk middle defender where he can he can be so dangerous. And this scheme, at least if they're going to play the, the Vic Fangio, Brandon, Brandon Staley coverage disguise kind of scheme, I would love for him to be the, you know, you, you have the two deep and then you rotate and he's rotating down into the box or Amos is rotating down into the box or he's out in the slot and, and moving around. I mean, there, there are so many places you can put him. I think you do him a disservice by saying, okay, you're the star now. Perry, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I actually could not agree more. I don't think it's a question of whether or not he can do it or that he would be successful at it because I think that he would be. Um, and it would be really interesting to see him kind of take on a larger role in the slot. But we saw what he was able to do when he was just kind of given a little bit more freedom to roam close to the line of scrimmage um, and kind of use his instincts to go out and make plays. So I think pigeonholing him to one position like that is actually doing him a disservice and not actually utilizing his skill sets to the best of his abilities. It doesn't mean that he can't play in the star role sometimes, um, but I just don't think that I would like to see him just play that one position all the time. And then also, you know, what does that do? I, I think it just raises some more questions for me about then what do you do with the rest of the defense, right? Like what happens to Chandon Sullivan, who the Packers just brought back, um, who takes over in that actual safety position um, when when they need someone to come in. So um, it's less about would he be successful and more to me, like what, what does that mean for the rest of the defense? Like what would it look like then if they moved him? Yeah, Perry, it's certainly not uh, rare for you and I to agree on things, but holy shit, Peter, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned (laughs) because um, what you said, and obviously what Perry kind of concurred with as well, is a million percent what I believe. Can Darnell Savage play the star position? Yes. And, you know, if you want to put him there, a handful of snaps per game, use him in that role, by all means. You know, you you can definitely get creative, and I think he has some unique skills that he can bring to that table from time to time and being able to play in that position. Would I ever want him playing that full time as your, you know, 60, 70 snaps per game as a, a slot star defender? No way, shape, or form. And, um, you know, we've definitely seen him be used in the slot some already over the course of the past couple seasons. And again, you, you definitely see that in zone coverage. He can kind of hold his own. But I don't want to see, you know, do I think Darnell Savage is his best trait is just covering straight up from a slot position almost as a corner? There's no way. And I don't see him necessarily having the strict coverage instincts to be able to do that on a consistent basis either. I think you put him there as, you know, something as a, you know, kind of change of pace and teams necessarily aren't expecting it. Like they're not game planning for, you know, Darnell Savage to be in the slot, you know, five, six, eight times a game, whatever it is. You start putting them there, you know, on every single down. Now teams are going to start targeting him a little bit more, especially when it comes to just straight coverage. So um, I love the fact that he played that robber role so impressively. And I think what we saw the Rams do a lot with their safeties, obviously they did a lot of two safety stuff, but they did a lot of really unique stuff post-snap where players would come screaming down and find different positions on the field. I think Savage is perfectly fit for that type of role in this defense. So uh, I I love Savage at safety, and I think he's progressing exactly in the right way that you would want him to going into year three. Still very, very young, still ultra-talented. To me, I would not mess with that too much other than, again, maybe a handful of snaps per game here or there. Uh, But I, I love him at safety and don't have really any interest in seeing him be a full-time star player. I don't know why you would. On us the green? <laughs> Just that I'm a little scared. Um, yeah. that, that's it. We're off to a great start. 
We'll start no. disagreeing once we once we start getting to some of the prospects. Although, Andy, we agree on a ton of the cornerbacks, too, which is also concerning. It really, really is. So this is – like, it's so much easier when you say dumb things because then I can disagree with you. And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But um, I, I think we're all on the same page here that Savage can definitely play in that star role from time to time. But, I mean, we'll see. I mean, crazier things have happened. If they went, uh, like, Morig out of TCU as a safety first round, that would certainly be something that would be very telling, um, that maybe they want to play him, you know, safety and then and use Savage in the slot more. Um, I think there's definitely things that could happen here. But I would be very – surprised if that's the direction that Green Bay went in. Couldn't you see them targeting a safety anyway just because they, they're, they're presumably not bringing back Raven Green? Will Redman is not a player who wants to play actual defensive snaps, and we assume that they're going to play that nickel safety a lot. And, and you know, potentially like 60-plus percent of the time, given the, the kind of defense that we saw the Rams play last year, they played the lightest boxes in the league. They played with small fronts, and they did a lot of things that, frankly, Packer fans got mad that Mike Patton did a lot. Um, playing so much sub-package, they don't have that third safety. So I could still see them um, using a relatively high pick on a guy like that. I don't know if that is um, the best use of resources, but Trayvon Merrig is an incredible player. And I think, to your point, Andy, like not, not only is he a safety, he can play the star. Yeah, and so when you have some, if you added him to a defense that already has Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos, you provide so much flexibility, and it is like drafting a corner because they can both play in the slot. And you bring up a great point there too, in the fact that again, with no Raven Green, you know maybe Vernon Scott steps up and takes that sort of role. But we also saw Adrian Amos do a good job playing as that you know kind of safety hybrid linebacker at times as well this past season, and, and that's certainly something that they could continue to use there. So uh, on obvious passing situations, if you want to put uh, somebody like a Merig or some you know and Savage at safety with Amos in the box and still Sullivan in, in that nickel position, there like you mentioned, Peter, there's a million different things that they can do with the versatility of those defensive backs with Amos being able to play in the box, Savage being able to play some in the nickel or, you know, uh, slot position, and then seeing what he's been able to do as kind of the, in that Robert role, what Mary could bring to the table. You know, there's, there's a lot of different directions that they could go there. I still think for what their overall needs are, I think safety seems a little bit rich for round one, um, but round two, round three, literally anything after certainly seems like it could be well within the realm of reason. Perry, what are your thoughts? I'd be surprised if they took a safety that high. Um, but, again, the Packers have surprised me with virtually every single <laughs> draft since Brian Gutenkunst became the GM. So who knows But I agree. I think, like, when I look at the positions, safety feels the strongest to me. Like you mentioned, Andy's super versatile. I'd like to see Vernon Scott right step up a little bit. You know, they drafted him last year, and he's had some time to develop. But I also can see the Packers – taking a safety maybe in the later rounds, right, to, to fill um, the depth there. And also, you know, they did restructure Amos, but, you know, he's not under contract for that much longer. So it could they could be just setting themselves up for options in the future, which is what the Packers like to do anyway. 
And as Peter mentioned, it's it's t- we're kind of you know somewhat guessing here, at least educated guessing on on how Green Bay wants to play in this defense with Joe Barry. It's also tough this time of year to tell exactly how Green Bay feels about specific players on their roster. For example, you know a handful of years back, um, we didn't know that going into his second season, the Packers felt really really high on Kentrell Bryce. Now whether they should have or not is maybe a different conversation, but um, they felt really high on him and they really liked Marwin Evans at that point. As well. So some of those decisions I'm sure they were making at draft time um, about the safety position, they had those players in mind. You know, for Green Bay this year, maybe they really like Vernon Scott. Maybe they really like Henry Black. Maybe they think Josh Jackson's a safety. I don't think that's the case, but it's just some of those things that we don't know at this point and, and because of that, it's tough to tell where they view the needs on the position, but um, you, you know, Perry, you said it best, you know, you can... You- we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You never know for sure. Um, and if Merrig's name is called round one, you know, I wouldn't have like this. I certainly would be less surprised than some recent picks as of late. So we'll see what direction they go in. Um, Peter, I know I mentioned earlier, I was, you know, kind of uh, pulling your leg a little bit on the reason you're on today. But one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on is because you did a really great article for Acme Packing Company. Um, the title of the article was putting together an NFL draft playbook plus how it affects the Packers. Uh, for anyone that's listening, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, and you kind did really great work on a few different positions and kind of labeling what type of players Green Bay looks at and, you know, kind of putting together kind of a, a checklist of players that are probably pretty high on the Packers draft board. So we won't give away all the secrets today so that people go out and read the article, but I do want to, you know, have you go over specifically the cornerback position and how you kind of narrowed it, you know, down your list and what players are on that list for Green Bay. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. 
Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Well, let's start with with the basic premise of the article, which was how can we use historical data and hit rates to, de- to decide what the best course of action is for Green Bay? Because I think it's really important for any team um, it's the same way that that when you go into your fantasy football draft, you're going, okay, um, I want a running back early um, because I think receiver is strong here and here, and I know I can get a tight end here, and I can wait on the quarterback. NFL teams do take the same approach, and and it's a smart way to think about your your strategy going into the draft. And so, when you look at the historical hit rates of corner. It is one of those positions where if you want a good cornerback, you better take him early. And and that means first round, second round, because after that, it really is just a dart throw. And I think when you you add on top of that a position like receiver, which could impact the, the Packers in a positive way, you tend to get really good value after day one in, in you know the second and third rounds. Safety, linebacker, if you want those kinds of guys, um, you can get really good value on day two and day three. It's really hard to do with cornerback. So just looking at the guys that, that seem like first-round picks, then we, we took it a step further and said, okay, what are the indicators for corners? And Pro Football Focus has this great piece that they put together um, that shows some of the indicators. I just picked coverage grade because it's the thing that I think um, that matters the most to me. How how do, how do they cover? Um, and and we came up with a group of I think it was ten guys. Okay, well now let's filter through the the athletic profile that Green Bay likes. They they have a certain speed threshold. You have to be able to run to play corner, and they like a certain agility threshold. So you know you have to be a sub seven three cone kind of guy. All of a sudden, Andy and and Perry, we're down to like a handful of guys, and it, it's not as abundant as as you might think on first glance when you go, oh, there could be 20 corners that go in the top 100. Okay, well, how many of them might Green Bay actually like? And I added another layer and said, okay, if the Packers are going to play 80% zone like um, the Rams did last year and like the Broncos have with Vic Fangio, who are the guys who can fit in that zone category? And so... Um, I think there is that, that leaves us with a group of guys at the top, and you say, okay, these are the top 40 kinds of targets. And, and it's really, for me, it's three guys in the first round, Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom, and Ifati Melifanwu. Um, and then there is this sort of like trade, for me anyway, it's a trade down into the 30s, high 40s, to get someone like Paulson Adebo or Eric Stokes Um all of whom sort of fit that that mold. And then on day two, it's Benjamin St. Juice from Minnesota and Aaron Robinson from UCF, who would play mostly in the slot. I don't love Robinson. Um, he's an older prospect. Um, I, I think it's mostly that first group, that first group of five. And then St. Juice on, on day two is sort of a flyer pick. But I really like all of those guys. I think all of them are are great fits in Green Bay. And I know with at least one of those, Andy, you're on the same page with me. Yeah, actually, a, a couple of them. So we're going to break down these in a little bit greater detail in just a moment. But, um, you know, definitely, you know, Greg Newsom is somebody that's very high on my list. The Feitu Melifanwu I have is, a, to me, an easy first-round grade. I like Paulson Adebo actually a lot more, and, uh, you, you know, I think than most people did. I know he had the, the Gabe Davis game where Davis kind of baptized him a little bit. But other than that, I thought he was a very strong prospect. Uh, Aaron Robinson I'm a little bit in between on. I, I, I don't necessarily like that he's a little bit overage. 
huge, um, especially if you're looking at first round pick. I think Green Bay may end up being a little bit in no man's land, and you know, with him as you kind of mentioned and alluded to, probably too high for 29, probably um, or too low for 20. However you want to view it, and then you know, probably gone maybe potentially before um, pick 64. And I think Eric Stokes is potentially in that range as well. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how these corners come off the board. Uh, but all of these guys are, are definitely players that I could see uh, fitting in with Green Bay. And again, we'll break down a couple of these in the future. But um, Perry, I'm assuming you kind of uh, agree with this this thought that, you know, Farley, Adebo, you know, Newsom, Melifonwu, St. Juice, Robinson, Stokes could be the guys based on kind of athletic thresholds and what Green Bay looks for that uh, Green Bay could be targeting in those first couple rounds. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I'm kind of becoming in the camp where I think that if the right guy isn't there at 29, the Packers will trade back um, to get someone that's less rich at pick 29. But they have a pretty, I'd say, I don't want to call it strict, but pretty um, stringent kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Profile, if you will, for cornerbacks that they like to take. And um, I hate to kind of eliminate some some of them based off of just, you know, relative athletic scores, but you just can look at the patterns in the past at what Goot likes to take. And so you look at guys who we'll talk about in a bit, right? But like Asante Samuel Jr., who came at a 6.42 raw score, you just kind of get the, the feeling that that's not who the Packers will pick. But then, of course, they kind of um, strayed from that profile, if you will, and, and took Jair, and that worked out well. So, again, I guess this is coming back to you never know, but I think all of the players that we've listed so far, I feel, um, you know, would fit nicely with, with what Green Bay is looking for. Yeah, very much so. So let's start, you know, kind of going through a few of these. So today we're going to go through Greg Newsom, uh, Melifonwu, Asante Samuel, and then Tyson Campbell. Um, those are just kind of next up on our list of corners to discuss. But uh, I want to start with Greg Newsom. And Peter, you kind of alluded to him being a guy that you liked. What was your just kind of, you know, general tape breakdown of Newsom and how he would fit in Green Bay? You know what's funny is of all the guys that I that I studied for the draft. Um, he was the player who I took the fewest notes on. And I, I don't, I, I guess I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it's just he was a really easy eval because he can play in zone, he can play in man, he tackles, he plays aggressive, and he fights. And, and that's, that's what you need if you're a Green Bay. And, and I think the thing that is so appealing to me is he had ex- experience in a multitude of coverages at Northwestern. And when he was asked at his pro day um, about, you know, man versus zone and that kind of stuff by Stacey Dales, the first thing he said was, you know, I can play cover four, I can play cover three, I can play man, I can play cover two, whatever you need. And I just thought it was weird that he said cover four first. Um, and, 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 like, maybe I'm body language doctoring a little over the top on this. But he also mentioned Jair Alexander in that press conference that he was the, the number one dude that he watched. I think he wants to come to Green Bay. <laughs> I re- like, I really do. Like, no no team last year played more cover four than the Rams. That's the defense that presumably Joe Barry is coming. And that versatility in coverage is so crucial to wh- whoever comes in. Here's the other thing I really like, Andy, is um, one of the things that Bob McGinn, the scouts that Bob McGinn spoke to, they said they think he's a nickel. Well, guess what? If Kevin King is going to be the day one starter, maybe the way for who, whatever corner Green Bay drafts, and they're going to draft a corner, the best way for him to get on the field early is to play in the slot. 
And so because it is going to be a heavy zone scheme, you don't need to worry as much about that guy covering, you know, the shifty slot receiver type, real gym rat, um, in, in man coverage underneath. You don't have to worry about him getting worked by Cole Beasley on a shake route underneath because it's mostly zone coverage. And so what you need him to do is play through the quarterback with his eyes and tackle and make plays on the ball. Greg Newsom can do that. And, again, it's just like he's an easy eval. You can just see what he is and what he can do. I'm right there with you. Uh, You know, he had some of the injury concerns, and I had one bad note. uh, That's the other reason the notes are short, because he didn't play that many games. Yes, that's another That's a good point. Um, And then I had that he got beat on a corner route by Quintez Cephas in 2019, on uh, you know, just basically beat by Cephas on a route. That was like the only negative I had as I was kind of going through my notes. Uh, To me, there's nothing he can't do, as you mentioned. Very sure tackler. You know, I don't care if he said it or not. There's not a coverage or a spot on, you know, in the defense or at least that cornerback, that he can't play off inside, outside, press man, cover 4-2, cover... Well, it doesn't matter. He can do literally all of it. Um, He reminds me of a little bit of a taller Jair Alexander. Nobody has the freaky um, athleticism and just insane squeaky hips that Jair does, but he's not that far off, especially for a six-foot-tall guy. Um, There's literally everything that I love about him. I've mentioned before, he feels to me like this year's Justin Jefferson, the guy that everyone falls in love with and then he goes five picks before Green Bay probably to somebody <laughs> in the division because that's how the, the NFL draft works yeah, but the Bears I take him at 20 yeah exactly so I love everything about him and I think Perry you um, had mentioned that you liked him as well if I remember correctly yeah he's been an easy early kind of draft crush favorite um, I, I, I mean, I agree. I think he, like you said, he does everything well. And when I watched him, my first thought was, okay, this is Jair. Um, and I, I think the only thing I'll add in my bolded note for him, and I don't know where I came up with this term. I definitely made it up, but <laughs> he just has this like very proactive athleticism when he mm. plays. And like, what I mean by that is I just think there's something about the way he can control everything that he's doing. You know how some college players sometimes you're like, ooh, maybe you just kind of tricked yourself into making that play or you're just kind of in the right place at the right time. Like watching him, I never felt that way. He always felt in control. It always felt like he knew exactly what was going on in the field Um, and just like a route awareness that not a lot of, you know, I guess some of the top prospects have. But um, and then my other thing with him is, and this is important, right, for corners, is just that swag, right? Like, do you have the confidence on the field to go up against anybody? You're going to need that in the NFL. And especially if, you know, he starts on whatever team that he comes to, you know, he's going to be going up against some of, some of the best wide receivers in the league. Like, you need to have that confidence in yourself, and it's something you definitely saw with Jair in college, and I think Greg Newsom has that as well. Um, and not to, you know, read into anything a la Peter, but um, <laughs> he does follow me back on Twitter. So I think, Peter, you're right that he does want to come to Green Bay. <laughs> Let's go. I have to follow him now, see if it's just a Perry thing or if it's a Packer thing. Yeah, let's try it out. We can do a little thought experiment. All right, there we go. Now I'm just going to be upset when he doesn't follow me back, so we'll see what happens. But, yeah, my final note here, I had first-round talent who has the confidence, length, ball skills, agility, and speed to be a number one corner in the NFL, capable of playing either side and match up with a variety of receivers. He's never panicked, doesn't grab, makes receivers work for everything, sure tackler, can play zone, uh, press or man, complete corner, uh, should be a starting corner for a long time. So I I loved everything about him. I would love if he was there at 29, which either means he won't be or he will be 
and they'll take an H back because that's just how this works. Uh, but he's a very fun player nonetheless. All right, let's go with another player on your list, Peter. Tell me what your thoughts were on Afetu Melifanwu. So uh, b- before we do that, let me just ask you guys both a question. If, if Newsom played every game last year, and especially if he had played the whole Ohio State game, we're just not even having this conversation, right? Because we just assume he's going to go long before Green Bay picks. I agree. I think if, if I think the only thing that he doesn't go top twenty-five or even maybe twenty is the injury concerns and him not playing a full slate of games the last couple seasons. Barry. Oh yeah, no. I mean, you've seen how his stock has risen since sort of everyone started. Um, looking at draft prospects, and I think that if there was just more body of work to look at, people would be higher on him than they already are. Okay, sorry, I just I, I want to throw it out there. So, Melifon Wu um, is he's perfect for Green Bay. Um, the the scary thing, if if there is a scary thing, is that he athletically profiles almost identically to Kevin King in terms of the measurables. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's a little bit stiffer in his hips than than Kevin King tested. I don't think he's any um, stiffer on tape than Kevin King was, and certainly not what Kevin King has been. The, the game that he played against Clemson, I think, was as good as any game that any of the top corners play, with the possible exception of J.C. Horn against Auburn, when he made Seth Williams quit. I mean, what, yeah. what J.C. Horn did to Seth Williams, um, you know, t- your, your joke about Gabe Davis and, and Paul Sinadibo is like, it, it should be illegal in a lot of states. He was dominant against a, a college playoff team, like a, a, a really good team, uh, the number one overall pick. And a really good, talented offense. He was really good against North Carolina. He he created two interceptions against North Carolina. He won't get credit for either of them. But one of them, he walled off Diami Brown on a deep route. And the other one, he had a PBU on a slant that turned into an interception um, for the linebacker. So I don't think the stats are going to show you what he's capable of doing. Um, but But he's such a good tackler that teams think he should play safety. I mean, that is, that is the kind of guy you're getting. He's 6'1", 205, or 6'2", 205, with 4'4 with four, four speed. He jumped 41 and 11'2", which is just like not a human person. That is freaky, freaky athleticism. But he plays like it. He has that click and close, downhill explosiveness. The only reason that, okay, there's two reasons that I don't think he's getting the first-round buzz that he deserves. Number one, he went to Syracuse, which pains me deeply to say, but that is true. <laughs> and the other is, I don't think he has elite, elite ball skills. So when the ball is in the air, he, he doesn't always find it, and he does he isn't always able to get in a position, even when he, it, when he is in position to get an interception, um, he, he doesn't quite have that ability to, to make that play. But guess what? You know who did? Josh Jackson. You know who has not been able to do that in the NFL? Josh Jackson. So I, I almost don't know what to do with it at that point. Same with Jair Alexander, frankly. Like, he showed terrific ball skills at Louisville, and how many interceptions in his NFL career has he dropped? I mean, it's it's kind of a bizarre thing. I think you're wasting his athleticism and his length if you play him at safety. Okay. And as a zone corner, he has it all. And, and like, he, he's big, he's athletic, and he can tackle. I think his best plays are all from off coverage, even though I think he can press, his best plays on the ball are from off coverage because he has that explosiveness. And guess what? 
whether you like it or not, the Packers are going to play a ton of off coverage this season. Someone like him, you know, Matt LaFleur talks about putting together a basketball team with the receivers. I think you have to do it in the cornerback room too. Someone that is that big, that can handle, you know, I was going to say the Kenny Galladay's of the world. He does not live in the NFC North anymore. But you still have to have someone for Allen Robinson. You need two guys when you're going up against Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. You're going to need someone in the playoffs for DK Metcalf. It's nice to have a different type of guy and someone in this case who fits the scheme so well. Perry? Yeah, it's interesting, Peter, that you mention kind of the ball skills or turnovers because one of my notes was that he can create those, but he didn't, I think, fully capitalize on those plays or moments and that there was kind of a level of, like, ball hawking that mm-hmm. he would need to learn. But that, I think, also can come with time. The only thing I would add to I mean, I'm, I really like – Melfon Wu a lot, um, watching him. My my, And the biggest thing for me which stood out was that there was some consistent improvement across three seasons, right? So yeah. he was consistently getting better, and that is another really good sign, right? Like you don't – I mean, it happens quite often where someone has a really good, let's say, sophomore season or junior season, and then it drops off. And, again, the 2020 season was so odd. You can't fault any of these guys if they played for having a weird year. But that consistency um, was really nice to see, and I think that you want that to, again, translate when they make the jump to the NFL. You want to be able to continuously improve. Um, And I think that – and this is my sort of note for some of the other guys we're going to talk about, but the size matters, right? Jair Alexander is a shorter corner, and again, it doesn't matter because of the way that he plays, but you do want that pairing, you know, that we see with Kevin King like we would with Malfonu where someone's a lot taller with that really big, you know, wingspan catch radius, you know, quote-unquote, when going up against larger receivers. So I like that about him as well. And then again, you know, he had the highest – uh, relative athletic score of all the guys we're going to talk about today at 957. And again, that's just something that kind of jumps off that you know um, Goot would like. So I, I really liked him. I think, Peter, I agree. I think if he didn't go to Syracuse, sorry, um, that people would be talking about him a lot more. Yeah, I had the Syracuse note and then the fact that his brother was a bust as a second-round pick as well. Yeah. I think those two things, unfortunately, are the only thing that, you know, unfortunately those things play, like, just play with your mind a little bit. Um, He's you know, a better prospect than his brother was by, a, by a considerable times. margin, in my opinion. A, a million times over. And uh, Obi, his brother, had injury issues coming into the league, um, never found a real spot on the field. To me, uh, if A2 is a, a corner through and through, I wouldn't mess with moving him to safety. But, oh, by the way, one of the things – that I love about a prospect is they have a, if they have a fallback option. Like, let's just say you get him in, because none of these prospects are perfect, right? And, and more miss than hit. And the fact that, you know, if he doesn't cut it at corner, the fact that you at least have another position that you could potentially move him to to say, hey, well, corner didn't work out. Let's just try him at safety. And then it's kind of like a fallback option. I don't think it's ever needed with a fade two. I just think he's a pure corner through and through. But I don't ever hate having that backup option as well. So there's literally nothing that I don't like about him to me. Again, he was an easy first-round grade. Um, the North Carolina game that you mentioned, I, I kind of like the fact that he gave up a reception early to, to De'Ami Brown and then actually missed a tackle on the next play, and then everything else the rest of the game was picture-perfect. Like, he didn't let it bother him. That's one of those things that I want to see out of corners. It's just a, a you know forgetfulness and a, almost a bad memory from those sort of stuff. I love that he did that. And then 
the Clemson game as well. Um, as you mentioned, going up against top-tier talent, that's what you always want to be able to see. And again, no panic, no grabbing, used his arms widely, great leverage, broke uh, broke up a post. Actually, I think he broke up a couple post plays in that game. You see the athleticism. Certainly seems like you would be a player, as you mentioned, from an athletic standpoint, Perry, that would fit Green Bay. Certainly seems like somebody that would fit this new Green Bay defense with Joe Barry. This, this seems like a very real opportunity and potential if they view him in a similar vein that he could be in play at 29. And people are going to freak out if they take him 29, but I, it sounds like no, the, the three of us will not because uh, no. I think he's a he's a really good really good player. I will just say it's a thought too. Oh, I'm so sorry. for when he's a for when he's a Packer, just so you know, I'm just. I'm just no, I pre- the, I actually mentioned this on another podcast, so I'm going to sound hoity-toity here. But I like, called I called him Jay Sternberger for like the the all the draft until the Packers took him, and someone finally corrected me. It was like, dude, you have to get it right. He's a Packer now. Yeah, that's fair. No, I so I've been watching almost entirely all 22, which of course does not have any announcers on it. So like I've recognized that I'm very very bad with names this year because this is like the first time I've had access to it, and I just I've I've not been listening to like the game tapes, so I like have no idea, how, and I'm just literally guessing on all of these. So I actually appreciate the heads up. So that's that's perfect actually. All right, let's go to Asante Samuel Jr. Um, I always get the two confused because it's Patrick Sertan the second and Asante Samuel Jr., and I always get the two transposed. But um, he was not on your list, Peter. What were the quick reasons as to why he was not on your list and then um, if you think he would potentially be a fit with Green Bay? So I'm not I'm not ruling him out by any means. Um, and, and the Packers did actually meet with him, and presumably when they met with him, they knew he was small. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a secret um, that, that he's small. Um, but, but he's officially 5'10", and and one, you know, if if you care about these things, he also didn't he didn't run super fast at his pro day, and the the three cone was a little higher than you would like it. He didn't test like a superlative athlete like Green Bay wants. If you're going to be five ten one eighty, um, you need to be a Jair level athlete, and he's just not. So that's the first thing. But that that's only um, related to the Packers. My evaluation. I love him. Absolutely yeah. love him. And if Green Bay says, look, we just think this guy can play and, and that's all that matters to us because he doesn't play 5'10", 180, right? I mean, he plays like someone much bigger. And I, I think that's what matters, much like Jair Alexander. He set a Guinness record for uses of the phrase play like a dog or or that sort of phrasing in his um, media day for his um, pro day which is a weird concept in itself. He talked about playing like Jair Alexander. He talked about having that fight. And you see it on the field. It's weird. He doesn't look moving around like Jair Alexander. He actually reminds me of a different Packers corner. He reminds me of his, his movement skills a lot more of Casey Hayward. Because he's, just, before you said it. he's smooth and he glides and he stays low and he just... Man, I just like if the Packers took him, you'd have to Kadar Holman would have to get a new number because you just have to give him twenty nine. <laughs> he he isn't super twitched up, but it doesn't matter. And like I asked Diami Brown, Mac Brown, the coach at North Carolina, said no one covered Diami Brown and Daz Newsom one on one all season. I asked I asked Diami about it. He said Asante Samuel was the toughest corner he faced all year, including Melifonwu, by the way, who who he did play and and you know the guys at Clemson and you know there's some there's some really good guys in the ACC. Samuel is is just 
he's a he's a football player, man, and and that's a cliche. I get it, but like he's a playmaker, and so he's he's sort of the flip side of Melifonmu in that he's undersized. He's not a great athlete, but the ball skills, the ball skills, and the instincts are what make him so special. And I actually thought, you know, by contradistinction with with Greg Newsom, who I thought was an easy eval, Samuel's a difficult eval. I think he can play zone. I think he can play man. I think he can play boundary. I think he can play slot. But I just, I, I don't know what to do with the size, and I don't know what to do with the athleticism. I just, I, I feel like I got burned by Josh Jackson not being the, the sort of player that I thought he would. And so now the athleticism thing, the, the three cone and stuff like that, like, I don't know, maybe just matters a little bit more to me. I don't know. He, I, I think he's a really good player. Um, I think he's a top 20 kind of, top, top 25 kind of talent. I don't think he's going to go in the top 20, top 25. And if he was Green Bay pick, Green Bay pick at, at 29, I'd be surprised, but I'd be all for it. Yeah, I, I would be surprised as well. I think the big thing here, and, and you mentioned the the size, obviously. I just think it, it. You have to really ask the question: Is it okay to have two, five, ten guys on the outside, especially when they want those guys to be able to force the run back inside and be able to, you know, you know be impact players? And neither of these guys back down, but there is a deficiency there if you're going with two guys under five ten that are a little bit undersized. And then, oh by the way, you know, Darnell Savage isn't exactly the biggest guy in the world. You've now got three guys in your defensive backfield that are basically like five ten, five eleven. So uh, th- that's not usually the ideal situation or scenario. And I don't necessarily that know that that's where Green Bay wants to go. Now, um, in a way, I'd be happy if they didn't take him because I think if they did, I'd still be you know, attempting a backflip, which is not a good thing for me to be attempting. Um, so I, I love him. I love everything about him. I love the way he plays. Um, same with you, Peter. I had some uh, both Jair Alexander and Casey Hayward takeaways from his game, and I just think that he's a great coverage guy, but I would be very surprised based on his overall skill set, his size, his agility and athletic scores, if that's where Green Bay went in the first round. Now, if he's somehow hanging around um, pick 64, which I don't expect to be the case, but if somehow that's the case, um, I could see Green Bay maybe you know biting the bullet and saying, screw it, we're, we're not going to let this pass up. But um, I, I just think that... Like they did with Josh Jackson. In a, in a very similar way, correct. But I just don't see it necessarily being likely. Perry, what about you? Yeah, I don't know. I think that I'm in the minority of... I'm just not as high on him as other people are. And I, I, it's not because I don't think that he's going to be... Um, a good corner, and I don't see all the things you're ta- you all are talking about with you know athleticism, instincts, playing larger than his frame. I just personally can't get past the idea of the Packers having two quote unquote undersized corners at the boundary spot. Like I just think about at the next level the way offenses are using tight ends, right? Like imagine Asante Samuel Jr. trying to cover Gronkowski. Like it just I don't know. That makes me nervous. I don't know if that's just being a little, that's the most dramatic probably. um, I just, I, that's the piece that I can't get past. And like I said, I think that he could make a very wonderful corner just probably for another team. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think that makes sense. All right, I want to go over one other one. Again, not on your list. One that I'm kind of hoping is not in play in Green Bay, and I don't think he is. Um, I've I've liked almost – it's very odd. I've liked almost every prospect in, like, the top, like, 50 to, um, you know, really first couple rounds. Like, I've disliked very few prospects in this draft, which is rare. I'm usually, like, a very positive person but very negative when it comes to evaluating players. Like, I just assume, like, every weakness is going to be, like, their Achilles heel and they're not going to work out because of it. Um, This year I've been the opposite. I really like a lot of the players in this draft. Tyson Campbell, I don't know if it's just because I've been burned a little bit too much with the Kevin Kings of the world where, uh, let me just, and Josh Jackson to the same extent, 
I want somebody who shows true coverage chops at the uh, in college and just knows how to flat out cover people. And I get that Tyson Campbell's an athletic freak. I know he's played outside and inside. He's played in the SEC. He's won some really impressive matchups as a corner. I see Campbell more as a cover three guy. I think he'd fit fantastically in a Seattle-style defense. But we're seeing teams get more away from cover three. I don't think he fits perfectly for Green Bay. And I just feel like if Green Bay learned their lesson from Kevin King, Tyson Campbell would not be somebody that they would target. Now, Peter, you mentioned in your article, he obviously didn't hit those really key agility scores either. So it's it's not likely that he would be somebody they would target early. But um, Peter, what were your thoughts here on Campbell? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not sure I'm as as down on him as you are. Um, I actually felt like if if he had Eric Stokes' physical traits, that he would be a first round pick all day. He just doesn't. Um, Eric Stokes is the better athlete. Tyson Campbell is I don't want to say the better football player, but certainly the the bigger competitor. I think he's got a little bit more fight in him, um, which I which I really like. Um, you know, you look at a game like the Arkansas game, they barely even threw at him. And when they did, he got a, he got a pass breakup on a shot play where he ran step for step, um, you know, with the receiver. So I, I like I like some of the stuff there. He's got the, the very good straight line speed. I really like the attitude. Um, but he just he just doesn't have that that it that that thing that you need to make plays on the ball. He just doesn't affect the game down to down as much as you'd really want him to. Um, he reminded me sort of of like um, a taller Cortland Finnegan, if you remember the Titans corner, sure. because he's he's feisty, um, not a not a super athlete, but just sort of um, he 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 helps you because he gives a shit. And, and I think giving a shit is a is a talent. It's a trait that that maybe we don't account for enough. Um, I, I think a lot of the reasons we see guys fail is because they don't give enough of a shit. But he just to a point, not an elite playmaker with the ball in the air, um, and doesn't have that sort of click and close. If you're going to play him in zone, he doesn't have that, or especially in off coverage, he doesn't have that click and close to finish to the ball. So, like, if he's there at 62, cool. Like, that's fine. He's not the guy that, that you'd want to draft and say, okay, this is the guy that we're going to go with moving forward. I just, I don't see that. I don't think you'd be super stoked about it. I do think he'd be good value at 62. I think, you know, he's, he's, he's certainly better than the 62nd best player in the draft. But, like, you know, not by a, a ton. I have him at 50 right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Perry, what about you? My biggest issue with him when I was watching, well, first of all, watching Georgia, I just watched Eric Stokes. Like, it was just so hard to not watch Stokes. But my biggest issue with Campbell is that he's so handsy. And there are so many moments where I was like, if you did that in the NFL, that would be holding. That would be DPI. And that's just the kind of stuff that, like, I don't know if it's something you can clean up. Maybe. But it feels very, like, instinctual to sort of grab in that way. And I get really bad, like, Kevin King NFC Championship game PTSD from that now. So um, I, I just don't – that was, like, my, the biggest thing that stood out to me that I just really turned me off from him. Because if you can't actually cover and, like, press someone without getting, like, a, a foul, basically, you know, a flag, like, that's, that's not a good player to me. I don't, I don't want that on my team. So that was the biggest thing that stood out to me. 
Yeah, Ben and I last week talked about balance for offensive linemen, but balance is really something that matters at all positions, and corner's a big one, too. And if you're not always on balance, you're not always going to be able to play up to your top speed, and I felt like that was the case with Campbell at times. There were times where he was just fighting his technique, and he didn't always, he didn't always stay on balance, and that didn't always allow him to play up to his incredible speed. So I thought that was an issue. And then um, Sports Info Solutions had a really great stat on him, too. Um, the expected catch rate on passes thrown at Tyson Campbell was 78.7, but his actual allowed catch rate was 85.7, which um, by my very rough uh, abacus here says that he was 7% worse um, than what you would have expected from a, an average cornerback in that situation. So, um, you know, again, just just some red flags here that I have on Campbell that I don't necessarily have on some of the other guys. Well, this was absolutely fantastic today, guys. I appreciate you taking time to go through these corners with me. Uh, Peter, I appreciate you giving enough of a shit um, in very Tyson Campbell form <laughs> uh, to come on the Packaday podcast uh, and take some time out of all the amazing uh, work that you do and all the very busy schedule that you have. Um, Peter, tell us what you're working on on the way out here. Um, well, we got we got a lot of lockdown packers to do between now and the draft. Um, a, a lot of really fun stuff there. Um, we are uh, continuing to, to pump out draft content over at Acme Packing Company. Um, Andy, you and you and I are pumping out stuff at, at Packer Report. So um, I hope people will check that out. And and if you're for whatever reason, uh, a little overloaded on Locked On Packers and Pack a Day and Pack What She Said. Um, Locked On Today, all the sports. We do all the sports in under 20 minutes just to sort of get a nice, a nice um, refresher on what's going on outside of Packerland, um, such that that exists. Who would do a daily Packers podcast? My goodness, who, who would ever think of doing something like that? Uh, no Perry, idea. tell us about Packs What She Said and what you're working on. Yeah, um, just you know getting some good guests on. We just had Bailey Burmaster, who's phenomenal. So if you haven't listened to that episode, don't even listen to it for me and Maggie. Just listen to it for Bailey. Um, We, as you mentioned, Andy, had our first live show that we'll be doing monthly, Pax What She Said Live. So it'll be the first Tuesday of every month. Um, That'll be really fun. You can bring your questions, and uh, we will try to answer them. And, yeah, this month is going to be a lot of draft stuff, but I also in May – We'll be kind of looking back and and talking about who the Packers picked, actually, which is the most exciting. You know, we can chat about all these guys, but you know, what are the chances they actually end up on, on the team that we root for? Um, and we'll we'll have, I think, hopefully two guests on in May to do that. So just a lot of exciting stuff. And uh, listen to Pax, what you said. Awesome. Well, make sure to check out Perry at Pax, which he said. Uh, make sure to check out Peter with the Locked on Packers podcast and Locked on Daily. And then, uh, of course, bang it here every single day for the Pack-A-Day podcast, 365 days a year. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Perry. Make sure to check us every day wherever you get your favorite podcast. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.